This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Uh, last week of the football season, of the regular season, we should say, uh, and that also means recruiting's heating up. That means basketball season's in full swing. Uh, there's going to be probably coaching carousel news that we're going to track throughout December into January into February and whatnot. So uh, plenty of reasons to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. If you aren't, I can tell you the biggest re- new, the, the best new reason to subscribe is we have come to an agreement with CBS, uh, our parent company, where if you subscribe to DuckTerritory.com, your membership includes a free access to CBS All Access, their streaming platform. It's a $99 value. You get that for free by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. So sign up today if you haven't. If you haven't activated your CBS All Access, go do that as well. There's a article on the front page of the site that can lead you to the steps that you need to take. It's very easy. It takes all of just two or three minutes. You can even do it on your phone. It's that easy. So, Eric, today's a Wednesday. Uh, we've almost flushed the 31-28 loss to Arizona State in the desert this past weekend. But I imagine since it's Mailbag Wednesday, we're going to have a lot of questions discussing the ramifications of that game. Absolutely, and I can tell you that I – I think there's a large contingent of Oregon fans that have not flushed that game quite yet. Um, even on a personal level, it's kind of hard to have moved by that. Uh, you know, with the college football playoff uh, announcement show coming up, I guess we should say later on in the day, I'm so used to watching that and, and seeing where, how close Oregon is to reaching the playoff. You know, are they going to be fifth? Are they going to be sixth? And to watch that with the understanding that they will be ranked somewhere in there, but that whatever ranking they get uh, doesn't ultimately matter in the grand scheme of things. That's kind of a tough pill to swallow. And I think to me that'll be uh, maybe the, maybe the more that'll add a little bit more finality to what transpired on, on Saturday of just college football playoff hopes are dead officially as of Tuesday night when those rankings come out and Oregon probably drops, I'm sure, out of the top 10. I mean, I guess they're going to drop close to where they dropped in the AP and the coaches, which is 13 or 14. Um, it's a rough, it's a rough, rough way for the season to have gone last weekend. And uh, that leads us into our first question from at Altman Fever. I think he's feeling a lot like how a lot of Oregon fans is. And his question is, I am completely dejected from this loss to ASU. Killed all the excitement. I know the Rose Bowl is there. And at the start of the year, had you told me we were 9-2 going into the Civil War, I'd be fired up. How's the team? Is this a concern for them? Help. Well, (laughs) (laughs) the last part... uh, you know, Ann Altman Fever, if you need help, uh, I would... Safe word? Uh, Is that a safe word, help? Yeah, like, what's going on? I, I hope there's not more to it. Um, call the authorities if you do need help. Um, but it, <laughs> in general, um, the, I, I, you know, and I, I, again, I think what he said at the beginning there, it was com- that he's dejected, it killed the excitement. I, I think that's where it is for a lot of fans. And I think he's also right in the next part of, like, 
if you said at the beginning of the year Oregon was going to be nine and two with a chance to go ten and two in the regular season, a chance to go eleven and two and play in a Rose Bowl to be twelve and two for the season, I think a lot of people would be really excited by that possibility. But the fact that they got to, you know they won nine straight games and it looked kind of unbeatable. Like a, yeah, a, a, kind of like a team of destiny, and there was really a sense that this was going to be a year where they they, they made it work. And I, the way things kind of like. The way things kind of fell by the wayside around them, it sort of really did feel like this is going to work out, and they're going to be playing, you know, in Atlanta on December 28th, and yet uh, here we are. And uh, you know, in terms of how's the team doing, um, you could tell after Saturday's game that this one hurt a lot, and I think that's to be expected. Um, and I think you'd be disappointed if that wasn't the case. I think if if it was all smiles around and people were laughing, and it, it would feel like kind of dis- like the season had been sort of disingenuous. No, I think it was pretty clear that the team was really hurt by what happened on Saturday, but from what everything that, you know, Coach Cristobal said on Monday about how they'd responded, um, I think they're going to be ready for a really intense civil war on Saturday. And I think, I think that's part of what helps get them prepared this week is that it's not just any other team after a tough loss. It's a rivalry game. It's senior day. It's the civil war. It's a game where, heck, Oregon State is playing for bowl eligibility yep. and Oregon needs to be ready. And I fully expect that they will be. Cristobal said it best of how the team is. He said that was the quietest plane ride home he's been on in yeah. a long, in a long, long time. I mean, that was, that was a, put, a punch to the gut. No, no doubt about it. And Oregon not, got knocked down to the mat and has to now pick themselves up. And we will see if, if they can do that. And we'll see how long it takes them to pick themselves off the map. You know, this is a career, I think this is a, not a career defining moment for Cristobal, but I think this is uh, a moment in time in which the program could go two or three different directions. You know, they, they could not recover from this and yeah. they could, and they could lose to Oregon State and then go and lose in the Pac-12 championship game in, in a season in which was so exciting, so thrilling, so fun to watch kind of goes down the tubes in the last two or three weeks of the year, and all of a sudden the Ducks are playing in the Holiday Bowl with no juice. Um, Oregon Oregon could struggle and and find a way to to beat Oregon State, and you know they they kind of salvage the season a little bit, and yet they still go to the Alamo Bowl. They don't win the Rose Bowl, or you know this could be a, a game in which people remember. Arizona State knocked them down. They they fell to the mat, and yet Oregon picked themselves immediately back up, destroyed Oregon State, reestablished the culture, reestablished the confidence in themselves, and went into a Pac-12 championship game in which no one was – very few people were expecting them to win now and beat Utah and go to the Rose Bowl. And a season in which that started with a rough end, you know, ending at, at Auburn – uh, had an exciting nine game win streak and then gets a gut punch at the end to, to, to eliminate them to the college football playoff. Through all of that, Oregon finds a way to sustain the season, save the year and create a memorable, you know, run that will help the program's longevity, whether it's on recruiting, whether it's in the conference, whether it's the, the current players. Uh, I, I think this is a, this is a pivotal week for crystal ball and the program and where they go in terms of their trajectory. I mean, is, is if crystal ball is who we think he is, and that's a really good coach that's got this team locked in, they show up on Saturday afternoon at Austin stadium and there is no letdown from Arizona state and they just blow Oregon state out of the water. 
I don't think you can overlook the you know the program momentum of the way this season, the end of the season could go if they were to implode, if you will, and they lose to Oregon State, they lose to Utah, they play in a, a, a lesser bowl, and, and maybe they even win that bowl game. They're probably that's a totally different way to enter the off season in 2020 than if they were to rally, beat Oregon State, beat Utah, win a Rose Bowl, be ranked probably somewhere in the top six or seven in the final polls. Um, and be a team that's probably ranked somewhere somewhere similar to that, probably a little lower because they do lose Justin Herbert, and that's still your starting quarterback, and that's the one loss to a team that seemingly kind of knocks you down from a perception perspective. But enter the 2020 season at least kind of in that top 12, top 10 range as a team that that needs to be reckoned with and considered. Um, I, I just think, you know, I think you're right in terms of it's not just where they finish ranked this season or where the memory is of this season for, for Oregon fans and and for people who cover this team, it's also setting this team up for 2020. And, and you control that a lot by how you play this week against Oregon State. Um, if you come out and lay, lay an egg and you lose, that potentially sets you up for a really, really tough close to the 2019 season and a really a, a totally different 2020 offseason than if you finish strong. So, I, I, again, I think we said it on, I forget if it was Saturday or Monday's podcast, but this really does feel like the the most important week of the season um, and, and seriously, a game that, like, I think going into the year, we were not really taking all that seriously in terms of Oregon State, but now you have to, um, and, and this becomes a huge, huge couple of days for this team to get themselves ready and kind of back up for the challenge. I mean, it's crazy it sounds. The, the Civil War was an afterthought. Like, it was. The last two games, Oregon State has not been competitive at all with, with this Oregon team. I mean, heck, Oregon last year, without Justin Herbert, with Braxton Burmeister at quarterback who could not throw the football, Oregon literally just ran almost every single play and still found a way to, to beat Oregon State by like four scores. You know, that game was not close. And six obviously scores. six scores, six, right. It was, six, and it was then, 40 points. Yeah. And then two years ago at home, you know, Oregon with, with when Willie Taggart was the head coach, you know, Oregon put up a, like a, almost 70 points on him and it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't even close. And, and so, and then you look at the the rest of the, just the oppressions of Oregon State, and it's not just it's not just us. Everybody thought this with Oregon State that they weren't uh, they were not going to be competitive at all in the conference, and yet Oregon has now lost the game to Arizona State, which was crushing. Oregon State is fighting for bowl eligibility. This is I don't think anyone was expecting this type of a matchup going into the Civil War. Second question from at dmore44. What is the status of Jake Hansen? I can't believe no one on the television broadcast brought up missing the entire second half. Throckmorton had a rough time replacing him. Not saying that's why we lost, but those lob snaps, he was making sure screwed up the rhythm. Um, first things first, uh, Jake Hansen, based upon what Mario Cristobal said, is good to go. Um, it, it sounds like whatever injury scare he suffered uh, is not quite as significant as we maybe considered it to be originally. Um, that's very good news. Uh, you know, I think Matt and I recorded a couple podcasts before we heard officially what Cristobal was saying. And, and based upon what Cristobal said post game, it kind of felt like, oh boy, that sort of follows the line of what he has said previously when there is a serious injury. Um, doesn't seem to be the case with this one, which is again, great news. And then, it, it, you know, in terms of the television broadcast thing, it is funny because I got a couple of text messages from people criticizing Hanson, like buddies of mine. And, those are the people who listen to this podcast, so they, they know who they are. Um, criticizing Hanson, and I'm going like, he didn't play in the second half, and it's kind of it's unfortunate that the TV broadcast 
doesn't even pick up on that um, because I think there are probably a lot of people who maybe still don't even know that it was not Jake Hansen in there at center. So we don't know what happened with, with Jake, but it sounds like he's healthy. Um, and in terms of the snaps, you know, you go back and you watch it. It didn't seem like it was Throckmorton's best day in terms of getting the ball there quickly. Um, it didn't seem like there were that many that were off in terms of the accuracy. There were a couple that were high, maybe a couple that were low. But for the most part, it was just that the, the speed of the snap seemed to be a little bit different than what we'd seen from Jake Hansen. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure, was it the reason Oregon's offense struggled? No. Was it a reason why Oregon's offense struggled? Certainly. Yeah. Just because... Look, Oregon is trying – not only – this is where people don't realize the ramifications of injuries. And I think this also plays into the fact that receiver. But let's go with offensive line first. Jake Hansen is your starting center. Calvin Throckmorton is your best right tackle. Okay? Hansen goes out. Throckmorton goes from right tackle to center. Brady Aiello, who is your utility guy, he but he is at his best as a right tackle – but he can he can kind of play every position for Oregon outside of center um, to give a guy some a, a, some rest. So now Brady Yellow is in at right tackle. He's having to play every single down. Now all of a sudden, if a guy gets nicked up, needs to be out for a series, or he needs a blow because it's just he's gassed, you don't have your top reserve off the bench. Now on top of that, Oregon's trying to redshirt Stephen Jones. They're trying to redshirt Malasala. Those are two of your best offensive linemen as well, and they're trying to preserve those game, those guys' eligibilities because if they play them now, it's a wasted year. And so now all of a sudden, you've got those two guys unavailable, and Alex Forsyth, a, a sophomore, while good, it ha- has played in limited snaps, and now all of a sudden, your depth at that position has taken a huge hit, all because of one injury, just one. That's how... You know, thin of a razor, thin margin that Oregon's operating right now along the offensive line, and certainly Throckmorton's not Hanson. There's going to be a little bit of a of, of a change uh, in way, the way the ball is snapped, the efficiency of the ball is snapped, and, and the blocking up front, the calls, all of that. Hanson Throckmorton's a really good backup center, really, really good. He probably could be an All Conference center at that position if he wanted to, but I don't know if people understand the scope and the, diff- the difficulties that come with playing right tackle, and then all of a sudden in the middle of the game, in a game in yeah. which the, the the pressures and what is at risk uh, in that game, you have to switch positions to center. That's incredibly difficult to do. Third question from at PRDolphin underscore PR. Which, if any, juniors would you anticipate declaring for the draft? Um you look through the roster here, and it, it really is largely a senior and sophomore-laden group. Um, and, and there are some senior, the juniors that certainly start, but you look at the starting lineup, and really it's only Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson, Diamond Lenore, Thomas Graham, and then Brady Breeze slash Nick Pickett that are, are regular. Oh, and Jordan Scott, I should mention as well, that are regular starters that are juniors. Um, I look at that group, and I'm sure Matt may have a little bit different thought. The only guys I'd be seriously, seriously concerned about would be the defensive players. Um, I think Thomas Graham and Deion Lenore and Jordan Scott would be the guys that you'd have a little bit of concern about. I think it's hard with a nose tackle like Scott to really have an idea of what his draft stock could be and if it would be something that could he could improve over the course of a senior season enough to make it worth coming back. Um, I certainly think he's a really undervalued and, and really valuable part of the defense. I think both those corners, even though we should mention, did not have their best games at all against Arizona State. I think both those guys will certainly at least consider 
going early. I don't necessarily expect that Jalen Red or Johnny Johnson um, or, or either of those safeties will really give that a, a serious look. Although the way Johnny Johnson played in Tempe uh, and the way he's played this season, maybe he'll consider it. But I would think he would be best suited to come back for a senior season. Yeah, I, I think it's very highly likely that all the guys that you mentioned are going to are going to ask for evaluations. Absolutely. Um, from from the NFL, and, they, and if they don't, that's silly. Like they they need to do that. Um, I don't I don't think anyone on the offensive side of the football is going to leave early. There's no real redshirt sophomores that's going to be available that should go um, early in the draft either. So that's on the offensive side of the football. So that's good for from a you know longevity perspective for Oregon next year. I think Jordan Scott could go. Um, just personal beliefs there. Uh, he's set to graduate or has graduated in three years already. Uh, he's a guy that's going to be you know he's productive at his position. And I just wonder what does another year at Oregon prove to defenses? I mean, I, I mean to evaluators of the NFL. Exactly. That, that's exactly. that's kind of my question there. Um, Thomas Graham, Diamond Lenore, I, I think both could go. I, I think both could could return. I think mean, I think you you could make arguments for both of those guys of what they need to do, and then, so that could really kind of depend upon what does the NFL tell them that they need to do, and, and kind of and then there's also the, the the aspect that a lot of people don't take into account of could this guy get drafted. And if it's a yes, does the money that comes with it help the family or help the kid, you know, in an, an area that we don't know about? You know, I this is whether it's pro football, whether it's pro basketball, you know, whatever sport, when you have an opportunity to make a huge chunk of money, that could really help you, that could help your family, that could help a loved one that we don't know about. I mean, that that's all that stuff needs to take in, into consideration. I, I would be relatively surprised if none of them go pro, but at the same time, it would also, you could also argue to me that it makes sense that none of them, none of them go pro. And you could also argue that all, all three of those guys, Lenore, Graham, and Scott all go pro, and Oregon's looking for a new defensive tackle and, and two new cornerbacks going into next season. And I do think, C.J. Verdell should be noted as well. I, I know I kind of ran through the juniors and I kind of overlooked the fact that, yeah, he's a redshirt sophomore, so he's eligible as well. Um, Verdell, I think the injury concerns and maybe that the size to a certain degree would be a concern, but I do think at some point he's going to be a player that, that, that has a really, has a chance to stick in the NFL just because of his ability to catch the football out of the backfield and, and, and perform well in pass blocking situations and, if he can stay healthy, um, he, he has proven that he's a, he's a very capable running back. All right. This next question comes from at Brady Thomas. Uh, he ran through, he wanted to run through some scenarios where Oregon could somehow get back into the college football playoff here. And he listed 13 possible outcomes that could get them there. So let's, let's run through this really quickly. I think this is kind of fun. Um, he's conceding that LSU, Ohio State and Clemson win out and those three teams are in. And then he says Georgia gets blown out by LSU. Alabama gets blown out by Auburn. Utah beats Colorado, then loses to Oregon by a lot, he says. Oklahoma loses to Oklahoma State but beats Baylor. Florida loses to Florida State, which are right there we're already, we're already struggling. I don't, I'm not sure about the Florida losing to Florida State part, but it, it, I guess crazy things have happened. Minnesota loses to Wisconsin. That's certainly possible. 
Michigan losing to Ohio State seems likely. Baylor to Oklahoma seems likely. And then Wisconsin beats Minnesota to get into the Big Ten championship game and then loses to Ohio State. And then Oregon, like he said, beats Oregon State and beats um, Utah in the conference championship game. Are you buying that Oregon has any college football playoff hopes right now, Matt? Because personally, <laughs> I'm not, but I love the I love the effort and the thought here from Brady to lay out a scenario where maybe things get crazy enough uh, that, that this could happen. Hey, you know what? No. No. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had me going uh, there it's for not a gonna happen. Yeah. It's, it's just not going to happen. And, I mean, I, I, kudos to you to figuring out a scenario in which – uh, Oregon c- could get back into the discussion, but we've never seen that much chaos happen before, and we probably never will. I, I also love that Brady Brady titled his uh, his question maybe with like five E's, kind of like being like <laughs> maybe I don't know. Uh, Brady, I love the enthusiasm. Uh, I love the I love the creativity of, of trying to work through all this. And he he did mention that it you know it, it would take total chaos, and uh, he doesn't see this happening because the Florida game against Florida State, which I mentioned, is kind of wild. Um, but, he, you know, the other ones are possible. Um, but, you know, I guess if you're if you're an Oregon fan, you, in, there is still a very, very minute chance they get in. I think I saw ESPN had a graphic that said that their odds fell from, like, 43% on Saturday before the game to 0.7% after. So there is technically, uh, as as uh, Jim Carrey and said in Dumb and Dumber, there's still a chance. It's not, <laughs> it, it's not over. For sure, but uh, it's certainly a long shot. But, uh, yeah, a lot would have to happen. An awful, awful lot would have to happen. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. You guys kind of dictate the show, run the ship, if you will, with your questions on Oregon football, basketball, recruiting, whatever. Uh, Eric, question number five. Five comes from at AlexPDX88. What is Justin Herbert's career moment at Oregon? And I, I was thinking through this for a bit here, and I think it's earlier in this season – Back-to-back weeks against Washington and Washington State, Oregon trails in the fourth quarter. He orchestrates some scoring drives to get the victories there, and they sweep Washington, Washington State, two teams that have, you know, really for the last three or four years had the better teams, been the better programs. And uh, I think that's where I would say Herbert has kind of left his mark, you know, and there's still time for him to go out and win a Rose Bowl. There's still time for him to go win a conference championship, we should say, which would be significant. Um, obviously we can say that he already has won the Pac-12 North Division for the first time in a handful of years for Oregon. But I look at those two games in particular as as games where Oregon needed their senior quarterback, their star quarterback, to go out and make some plays, and he was able to go do that, lead them to victory over two rival programs, which, quite frankly, Washington State had won a handful of games in a row. Washington, I know Oregon had beat the year before, but um, 
And maybe that's part of what it is, is that, that Herbert led Oregon to beating Washington in consecutive years as well. But I, I look at those games as being kind of, if you're looking at moments that stand out for his career at this stage, and again, there's still three games left, a chance to possibly uh, finish the season with a Pac-12 championship and a Rose Bowl championship. But I look at those games as being kind of the, the moments that stand out most to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think his defining moments is our three-game stretch or a four-game stretch where they went to Washington and they trailed in the second half by two scores and came back to win in a very impressive fashion. And he made the throws. He made the plays. Uh, I think this and this the next game against Washington State, that game-winning drive that resulted in a field goal, uh, that is a is a signature defining moment. I think the then the next week when they go down to USC and just absolutely blast the Trojans in their home stadium on national television, and Herbert threw three touchdown passes and you know was was very very good. So you know. I, and like you said, Eric, he still could win a Pac-12 championship game, which hasn't happened at Oregon since 2014. He And he could very well get to the Rose Bowl and win that. And there aren't very many quarterbacks in Oregon history that can say, A, they've played in a Rose Bowl, and B, they've won it. That actually makes me think back to a conversation I had with Darren Thomas up at a recruiting camp this summer of, like, he was talking about how Herbert's done everything besides kind of win something of, of significance and um, – it would be a real disappointment, and I shouldn't say disappointment, but it would be a bummer if Herbert finishes his career out with a whimper and they don't either win the Pac-12 championship or a Rose Bowl this year. Um, because like Darren Thomas kind of said, you look at the great quarterbacks since 2000, and there have been a handful of really good ones. What's in common with all of them is that they've they've gone out and, and won some of these big you know, conference championships, big bowl wins. Herbert doesn't quite have that to his name yet, um, which is I kind of think what the question was getting at. Um there's still an opportunity for him to do that, though, and, and I really wouldn't count Oregon out here. I know we talked earlier in the program about this being a big week. If everything goes right, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if we look up on December 6th and, and Oregon beats Utah and is setting up itself to play in the Rose Bowl, probably against, I don't know, like Penn State or, or Minnesota or something um, in early January. All right, question six, and I like this one. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a thinker here. From at Robbie Parness, who gets your nod for all Pac-12 quarterback? Aaron Gore, or Anthony Gordon's numbers are crazy. Tyler Huntley has the wins plus the completion percentage in the QBR. And Justin Herbert and Keaton Slovis are probably also in the conversation. Um, th- th- this is a good one. I think up until this last week, I would have said Herbert was locked in for e- either a first or second team uh, nod in the Pac-12 at the quarterback position. I think right now, I still think he's in that conversation, but I don't think it's clearly defined. I think Gordon has such insane stats that he'll be – Hard to kind of overlook. And Tyler Huntley quietly leads the conference in completion percentage, leads the conference in quarterback rating. I know he doesn't throw as much as either uh, Herbert or Slovis, and certainly he's like half as many pass attempts as Gordon. But um, I think it's it, it might be tough for Herbert to sneak into the top two. Do you agree with that, Matt? I mean, the other guys are also seniors. Yeah, like I think Gordon needs to make – for Gordon to make the top two – they need to beat Washington and they need, they need to finish seven and five because if, if you're six and six, I don't care what stats you put up. You're not a top court. You, you're just not, you know, especially when you factor in the fact that they throw the ball so much. Um, I don't think Jaden Daniels will, will get into that even though he's got insane numbers himself, 62% completion percentage, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions. 
Um, I don't think Luton, Luton might be the sneaky choice. And if they beat, if they beat Oregon, you know, and he has a big game, he's only thrown three interceptions and he's completing 62% of his passes. But I think there's three guys. Uh, it's Huntley, it's Slovis, uh, and it's Herbert. I think you look at those three guys and you're going to have to figure out and find a way to get two. I think Huntley will probably be the, uh, first team all pack 12 quarterback. Uh, because he, he completes 75% of his passes. He averages 11, <clears throat> excuse me, he averages 11.2 yards per attempt, which is the highest in the conference by far. Uh, yep. he's only, he leads the conference by far in quarterback rating. Um, he's just very, very good. He doesn't have a lot of touchdowns, just 14 to his name, but, uh, 2,600 yards passing. We'll see what he does against Colorado in the final game of the regular season. And I probably would give it to Herbert, uh, over Slovis. Um, I think Slovis has better receiver, has better depth at the receiver position than Oregon does. The Ducks have operated without a full arsenal at the receiver position the entire year. You know, Breland starts out really hot, but he gets lost for the season. And then, you know, the year had to start without Schooler, without Micah Pittman, without Jawan Johnson. Uh, and then all of a sudden Breland gets hurt just as Pittman and Schooler and Johnson are coming back, and then Schooler transfers out of the program, and then Pittman gets hurt again and is, and is lost for the year. So, uh, oh, and by the way, Cam McCormick, your assumed number one tight end going into the year, was also lost for the year. So, and yet through all of that, Herbert still has uh, the third best quarterback rating in the conference. Uh, he's thrown for 30 touchdowns and five interceptions. His yards per attempt. Uh, is solid at 8.4, tied for fourth in the conference. Uh, touchdowns, he's second in the, in the league for, for most touchdown passes. Uh, so I, you know, completing 68% of his passes, which I think is third or fourth in the conference. So, uh, I would go Huntley one because of the year that, that Utah has had and the impact he's made. Herbert two. And then I would, I would go Slovis three and Anthony Gordon four. I, I think the discussion comes down more to like, do you get, do you get locked in on the fact that Gordon's going to have more than 5,000 passing yards and probably 50 touchdowns versus Herbert having clearly the better team, um, and orchestrating the offense maybe a little bit more effectively. Uh, I think it comes down to the two seniors, right? I don't know if, I think Slovis is kind of the, the odd man out here. He's had a great freshman season and honestly, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at quarterback going forward at USC because you have to remember he was, only the starter. Oh, I think of, he's, I think, I he's think he's pipped, pipped, I think he's, yeah, he's well pipped, uh, uh, JJ Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, I kind of think so too. And, and the, the position in this, you look at the quarterbacks in this league and it's actually pretty, it's really impressive along with, I mean, Daniels, we just saw what he did against Oregon. You mentioned Luton. We're not even talked about Jacob Eason, who probably along with Herbert has the, the brightest professional future. Torian Thompson, Robinson, uh, Khalil Tate, Stephen Montez. I mean, this is a, the, the quarterbacks in this conference have been, Pretty, pretty impressive this year. But yeah, I, if I'm, if I'm, I think I'm kind of falling in the same place here. I think Huntley first, I think Herbert second, and I think Gordon is kind of the third guy. But, uh, it's an interesting question, and it'll be interesting to see in general how Oregon is received on these all-conference teams when they come out in a couple weeks here. All right, seventh question from at MVG Genetics. Should we care how the rest of the season turns out? Was this Oregon's last hope for a title for maybe two or three years? Uh, first no. question. 
Yeah, first question first. Like, yeah, I think you should care how the rest of the season turns out. Are you, 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 you want me to tell you to stop paying attention and stop listening to our podcast and stop reading Please our Please read our work. Yeah, like, like what, do you want, what do you want me to say? Like, I, I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but if you're asking me whether or not you want me to read my work or not, like, yeah, go, go, go read, go read our work. Go, go listen to our podcast. Uh, stay involved. Uh, stay, you know, stay, stay focused on this. Like, I, I'm not going to tell you not to, uh, certainly. Um, but the second question is the part that I think is a little bit more interesting, which is, is, is did Oregon's national championship window kind of close here for a couple of years? Um, and I don't know if you agree with this, Matt, but like, I look at next year and I think, even though there's going to be a ton coming back talent-wise, and there's going to be a lot of really talented young players that are either registering this year who are going to be available or who are who are in this 2020 signing class that they're about to sign in a couple weeks here, which we should mention is a top 10 class now that they've landed uh, Noah Sewell, Penny Sewell's younger brother. Um, I'm a little wary of saying that they're going to be a legitimate national championship contender next year in Tyler Shuck's first year, and I think that's I think, and we should mention it might not even be Tyler Shuck; it could be. Jay Butterfield, it could be Kale Millen, it could be a quarterback they haven't even earned a verbal commitment from. Chuck hasn't officially been named the starter. I just think based upon what we've seen and heard, it feels like he will be. Um, I just think it's hard to expect who, whoever is that quarterback for Oregon to come out and you know how, what the margin of, of, of difficulty is and, and how little Oregon can really slip up based upon the way this season has played out. Um, I just think it's hard to believe next year that they're in position to do that. The following season, though, that might be the perfect time for it to, for them to be kind of in that spot. That'll be a couple of, that'll mean that the people from, you know, this year's recruiting class, which is the tops in program history, are juniors. They're kind of setting themselves up for being upperclassmen. Um, I think I would say maybe you look at 2021 as the next time they're legitimate national championship contenders, but 2020 to me at least feels a little bit, it uh, seems like a, t- it seems like a lot to ask. I think going into to 2020, the, the realistic goal is to to win the Rose uh, get to the Rose Bowl again. Like yes, like that. I think that's always and that's where you want to be as a program where your down year or your transition year is a a season in which you compete for your conference championship. Like and you make the conference championship game. Like I I don't know if if there's a team in the Pac-12 North that you can say definitively is going to be the favorite next season based off of what we all know right now. And let's just assume everyone that could does come back. Is Washington going to be the, the Pac-12 North favorite? I don't think so. I don't think it's definitive. Washington State loses a ton of guys. I don't, and they've, they've struggled this season. Oregon State, yeah, they've, they've kind of improved a lot, but they have a lot of key, you know, replacements and they, you know, they haven't shown from a recruiting perspective to easily reload. Um, California maybe, but their offense is putrid. Uh, and Stanford, but they have, you know, coming off a losing year, what, what, what shows the confidence there? I, I mean, I think you're going to look at Oregon and say, like, it's going to be hotly contested, no doubt, but I, I, I certainly think you can argue that the Ducks will probably be the, the Pac-12 North favorite, uh, going into next season, especially based off of who they could return defensively. Uh, they'll have the best offensive tackle in college football, maybe the best offensive lineman, regardless of position, and Penny Sewell will be back. Uh, they, they will have Jalen Red, they will have Johnny Johnson, they will have, uh, Devin Williams coming off redshirt, they'll have Johnny Wilson, the five-star receiver, Tyler Shucks looks solid, but, you know, that's probably a question mark. Yeah. Um, you have Stephen Jones, who will have starting experience, Malasala will be coming off a redshirt as well. 
Um, your all your running backs are, are there. Uh, and, and, and so I think you could argue that Oregon's probably going to be the Pac-12 North favorite. And if, and if you can get, if, if your down year is getting to the conference championship game and, and losing or winning, that's, that's, that's where you want to be as, as a program. Now, is the window closing? I think another one opens up depending on how we, the next season plays out. I, I would expect another one opens up the following year in 2021 yeah. because Shuck will be a redshirt junior. Quarterback with a year of experience. The offensive line will be loaded, even if Penesul leaves, uh, based off of recruiting. Uh, the, off, the running backs will all be seniors. The receivers will have plenty of talent there, even though Red and, and Johnson will be gone. Uh, your, your tight end, I think Spencer Webb will be a, uh, he will be a junior and a guy that's, I think, really had a really good season this year. Uh, your defense will, will have to reload a little bit in some positions, but Kayvon Thibodeau will be there. Uh, Pene Sewell's younger brother, Noah Sewell will be there. Uh, we know Mace Funa will be there. DJ Johnson will be there. Uh, Michael Wright will be there. Verone McKinley will be there. I mean, these are all guys that are important players on this year's team, you know, and, and they'll still be there. So I, I think 2021, it reopens again and, and then it's going to be for another two or three year window where, you know, depending on how recruiting goes, Oregon, Oregon could be right back where they were this year going into the year of, Hey, they're a playoff team. Circling back just to your point about Oregon being the favorite in the North next year, I think they will be almost regardless of how this finishes up for a couple of reasons. But namely, just like you look at the quarterback position in the Pac-12 North, Oregon's not going to be the only one losing their starting quarterback. You look through it, everybody besides California loses their starting quarterback, basically. I know Stanford, you know, they they had KJ Castillo go down, so Mills ended up filling in and started quite a bit. So he's kind of a pseudo-starter, but... Jacob Eason is more than likely going into the draft. Anthony Gordon is graduating. Um, uh, Oregon State Jacob Luton or Jake Luton is graduating. Herbert obviously is graduating. I think there's still a, a clear shot that Oregon will probably be the favorite because, frankly, like let's not look past the fact that Oregon is, is going to win the division if they beat Oregon State by like four games still or three games or whatever it is. Um, I think it would be four if they beat Oregon State because everybody else would be four and five um, in the Pac-12 North. So yeah, it's it, I would certainly expect that they're the favorites in the Pac-12 North um, next year, just like they were this year. Last question from at JD High Roller. When's the last time we've won a game with Kirk Herbstreet on the call? It's beginning to become <laughs> comical. The curse. It is a curse. And I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it until our colleague Kevin Wade was, was messaging us in Slack about it actually before the Arizona State game. And, and you're right, uh, JD High Roller. Like you go back, uh, the last time they've won is the, Rose Bowl against Florida State in 2015, based upon what Kevin and I kind of were looking into um, on Friday afternoon. Uh, they lost the national championship in 2015 with Herb Street on the call. They lost the Vegas Bowl in 17. That, that miserable Stanford loss at home in 18 they lost. The Auburn game this year and then the Arizona State game. That's five straight losses with Kirk Herb Street on the call. And um, I don't know if that's become a curse or, or if it's just kind of randomly how it's, I mean, I mean, probably it's just randomly how it's played out, but it's certainly kind of notable of like, I don't know if Oregon really wants Kirk Herbstreit on the call. In fact, I'm not looking up to see, make sure he's not going to be calling the Pac-12 North or the Pac-12 Conference Championship game because if that's the case, like, get, get, get a hold of your bookie and make a bet on Utah because it just doesn't seem like it's working out for Oregon when he's, when he's in the booth. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a strange deal because Oregon for the longest time, they would win when they were, you know, the, at the national attention, they would win mm-hmm. those games. And for Oregon, for whatever reason, now they've 
kind of struggled to, to, to find ways to, to win the big one of that week or that season. Um, I think that's the next step that this program needs to take. I think Washington was a big win. Um, but they need to, they need, that's the next step. You need to go in when there's all, everything on the line and win it, whether that's the Pac-12 championship game or maybe that's the Rose Bowl or maybe it's next year. That's that next step where this program comes in and you, you go in and go, they are going to win. There's no doubt about it. I've got full confidence and boom, it happens and they don't have these little bumps in the road. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. He is Eric Scopel. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in your questions throughout the year. We will continue to do this. Uh, and as always, we will talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.